Let me pray and we'll dive into today's portion of the, the sermon. Father God, it has been a long time since we've seen each other and just getting a glimpse of even the small group of worship leaders. It's a reminder that our heart wants more. Our soul longs to be together. And especially on this Easter day, it's a reminder that you have created us for so much more than living in isolation, so much more than living apart. We know one day that we will be fully seen and fully known and fully united with you and with all the saints from all time to be able to praise and to be able to worship, to be able to love you and to be loved by you and so on. So God, I pray right now that our hearts would be open, our ears would be turn to your word and in all the things that you are doing in our life. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, today uh, we celebrate um, our second Easter apart from one another. Uh, and what a year this has been, right? If you recall a year ago, when we shared our first Easter together in the, in the middle of March, April, do you remember the uncertainty that surrounded everything? Uh, if you if you go back, you know, we had no idea this virus was going to be so bad that it would shut down our entire society for over a year now. We didn't know uh, how contagious it was. We didn't know if we could catch the virus by being around each other, if pets could get it and, and give it to owners. I, I remember uh, early on, I, I heard about a dog that caught COVID in Hong Kong. And then I started thinking, oh, no, should I not be uh, you know, hugging and, and rubbing my dog so much more. And, and then you hear about a tiger in a zoo that got COVID. And it's been, it's been crazy uh, this last year. And I think for all of us, we, we challenging and difficult it has been. But with vaccination being available to everyone very soon, uh, with counties moving into lower tiers, and pretty soon in-person gatherings becoming more and more uh, commonplace, it's good for us to sit back and reflect a little bit. Because over this past year, this pandemic has revealed a lot of what is or was important to us, hasn't it? If we look back a year ago, back in February of last year, uh, you might have had conversations with other people on the efficacy or necessity of masks. Some of us might even have gone into arguments with others. Why do we need to wear masks? Uh, what was important in that conversation? Is my personal freedom or is care of others? And then it comes to, uh, to the lockdown right? And to, to churches not being able to worship. And some people are saying, well, what about my uh, religious freedoms, my, my freedom of gathering, my personal freedoms? And some were saying, well, this is government overreach. When the pandemic was in full swing, uh, what was important to you? Maybe it was Clorox wipes or, or toilet papers or paper towels, hand sanitizers. Maybe some of you guys remember pictures, or maybe these were you. Early days, people going to Costco carrying two shopping carts of stuff, of toilet paper. And then after the toilet paper, uh, it, was, it was flour as uh, the baking fever took over. And as people settled into their work from home or distance, learning uh, laptops and computers, they became in short supply. You know, and the truth is all of these things are very important, right? At least in one point in time, they were very important to us. But now that we're, a pa we're past a year in, I wonder, the question for you is, what has been the most important thing 
uh, for you. If you could go back maybe to 2019 or 2020, and you were to have a conversation with your one-year uh, one past self, what would you say, make sure you have this? Make sure you do this. Make sure you prepare for this thing. And I think it's a worthwhile question for us to ponder. Uh, but for me, one of the biggest things that I've missed and I realized that I took for granted is simply the human touch. Uh, maybe some of you saw this video a couple months ago of two cousins. They're, they're probably in the 10 to 12 year, year range. Two cousins who had not seen each other for months. And they were able to finally see each other and they hugged each other and they both started bawling and I started bawling. It's because we miss the human touch, something so simple, so vitally important that is often overlooked, the, the gift of human touch, right? When times of stress and trials come, sometimes we overlook what is most basic, most primary, most important to us. You know, I think the Christian faith can be similar too. And this past year has been quite a spiritual journey for us as well. It seems like every week and every month, every season, our church, we've been asked and we've been forced and we've been challenged to respond, to act, to serve, to love others out of our Christian faith. And I want to say how proud I am to be the pastor of this church because you as the church family, you have responded fabulously. Early on, there was a PPE shortage. If you could even remember, it seems so long ago, in hospitals and clinics, and we asked for donations from our church members, and people gave their own PPEs so that we could give to hospitals and clinics. People gave financially so that we could purchase on behalf of these uh, institutions. And you gave in droves. I'm, I'm so impressed and so proud. And then early on, there was a lot of food insecurities or even the ability to get groceries because we, we didn't know what was safe and what didn't. We had elderly people. We had people who were uh, had pre-existing conditions. And we had people say, hey, I'll, I'll volunteer to pick up and deliver groceries for those who can't. And as a church, we started providing meals for families that were either too busy or too stressed out or, or maybe even just insecure about their own meals. And remember the fires from this past summer, some of you might even have been in uh, the evacuation zones are pretty close. And we as a church, we, we supported communities of faith. We, we gave financially to churches and other organizations that were providing relief in the Santa Cruz, the, the Boulder Creek, Felton area. And some of you guys even gave materially. And then we had the racial tensions, the political tensions, all the Asian discrimination that you see right now, it's all seeming to come together one right after another. And as a church, I'm so proud of how we have addressed the various issues as they, as they have uh, arisen. We, the church, we have used our God-given passions and talents and resources to mobilize one another, to act in a way that loves God and loves our neighbor. So good for you. Good job, church. But in all this busyness, I also want to take this day, this Easter Sunday, to reflect and to remember what is most important to us as believers. Why do we do all the things that we do? If we were to sum up the Christian faith, what would, be, what would it be all about? So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul here is telling the church in Corinth, and, he, and he's speaking to you and to me in the busyness of ministry, right? In the busyness of life, in the busyness of discrimination, of, of injustice, of, of scarcity. Let's remember what is most important. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read it for you as well. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Here, Paul is reminding the Christians in Corinth. He's saying, church, if there's one thing I want you to remember, I want you to remember the gospel. I want you to remember how important the gospel is, the gospel that I preach, the gospel that you have received, the gospel which has the power to save you, but only, only if you hold on to it and you don't stray from it. And if you have to sum up everything that we need to know about the Christian faith, it's with this word gospel. Now, the word gospel it comes from this Greek word, euangelion, which literally means uh, it's good news. It's good, which the EU comes from, and galion is a message. And it's a word that in ancient times was used to declare victory. Uh, if, if a country won a, a battle, uh, euangelion would come back. It would be the good news. We have won. We're still in power. Or maybe a new king was being uh, coronated. And they would say, we have good news. We have euangelion of, of a new king. Paul here is saying, remember the good news, the great news that I preached to you when the Christians began talking about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the coming of his kingdom. They took this word and said, this is truly the greatest news in the world. And so they started calling this the gospel. And what is the good news? What is the great news? What is the euangelion? Well, he goes on in verse 3, and he says, For I deliver to you as a first importance. This is the most important thing, guys. For I deliver to you as a first, important, for, first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. And here is what Easter is all about. This is, this is what Easter is all about. Christ died for your sins, for my sins, for our sins. Let that sink in, right? This is what is most important in, in the entire world. If there's nothing else that you remember from the gospel message, know this. Jesus Christ died for you, and he died for me, for my sin. This is the one single thing that we as Christians must never forget. Right? We, could, we could go through life and we could live our Christian life and we, we, we forget the fact that Jesus had to die for me. And Paul here saying is, keep this in front of you. This is of first importance that Christ died for my sins and he died for your sins. Over the Christmas time frame, uh, you may have heard the story of a dairy queen and um, what happened was in this Dairy Queen drive-through, uh, one of the customers asked the, the attendant, can I pay for the guy behind me, right? I just want to do something nice. I want to pay for his meal. And the, the attendant says, sure, go ahead. Well, the next guy came up, he ordered his food and he's, the, the attendant said, oh, by the way, the person who just drove away, he already paid for your meal. 
you know, so, so this meal's on him. And, and the guy's like, oh, that was so nice. I, I kind of want to do something similar. Can I pay for the guy behind me? And on and on it went. It went for multiple days. In fact, there's a record of 900 cars, 900 families paid for the meals behind them, right? It's one of those feel-good stories during this really bad time. But there's a difference between paying for the fries or or the Dairy Queen uh, milkshake for the guy behind you and laying down your life for something that he did, willing to die. Here, let me give you a silly example, right? You could go to McDonald's. You know, it's been so long since I've had McDonald's. I love chicken nuggets. But, you know, when they're on sale, you could get 20-piece chicken nuggets for five bucks, right? And so, you know, you could get, you know, four, four of those, you could get 80 nuggets basically for 80, uh, for 20 bucks. And that, you know, that'll feed a family for a while. And if you're a teenage boy, maybe that's just enough for one guy. But let me ask you, would you pay it forward if it wasn't simply McDonald's? Would you pay it forward if you're eating at a, a steakhouse or, or a fancy restaurant? Uh, this picture actually comes from Acadia. It's a two, two Michelin starred restaurant. And I, I had to look this up. It costs $200 a person. And so, you know, for a family of four, you're looking about 800 bucks, maybe a thousand bucks. You walk into Acadia restaurant and you're like, hey, I think I want to pay for the other guys who are standing behind me. Would you be willing to do that? But Jesus goes beyond the $20. Jesus goes beyond the thousand dollars. He pays with his entire life. And what Jesus does on the cross was that he willingly took the payment for my sin and for your sin. It wasn't $20. It wasn't a thousand dollars. It was his entire life on a cross being tortured and humiliated and death. We remember that on Good Friday as we uh, Remember his humiliation and his torture, his suffering, the death of Jesus on a cross. You know, but it wasn't simply life that Jesus had to give up. Jesus also had to leave equality with God. We read in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God did not simply pay with his life. He emptied himself by accepting the limitations of being one of his own created being. Oops, I should have moved that slide forward, but that's okay. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you. The this next point is this. Uh, Jesus took on humanity and overcame death. Jesus took on humanity and overcame death. You may remember a show. I, I, I'm not sure if it's still on, but it's been on for, it was on at least 10 years ago. It's called Undercover Boss. It's a show, if you've never watched it, it's a show about, you know, executives, presidents, you know, CEO types, and they, they take on the, the lowest, the most menial job in their company, but they dress up so people don't recognize who they are. And so the first episode of Undercover Boss, this is back in 2010, was a man by the name of Larry O'Donnell, who was president of waste management. They deal with garbage and recycling and all that. He's an executive, or he was an executive, uh, with the salary and the prestige, the power of the highest level in this company. 
But in the show, he dons on his blue, blue work overalls and he rides with the garbage men. They don't know his identities. He's, he's picking up the garbage with them, dealing with the, with the smell and the stench. He goes into the recycling area where he has to take out the, the, the cardboard from all the garbage and he's dealing with the muck the filth, the stench of waste, and he's seeing how hard the lives of the workers are, how stringent and ridiculous some of the well-intentioned rules are. And he enters into the world, and, and later on he reveals who he is, and he gives them a solution. He, he gives one person a promotion and says, man, nobody sees your hard work, but I saw it. He changes the rules and says, these rules for going to the bathroom or these rules for only having 29 minutes for your lunch, that's ridiculous. Let me change it. And you know why when we watch a show like that, that story is so compelling? Because that's what God does for us. He wasn't watching from afar, looking at us from up in heaven, seeing us struggle, seeing us sin, seeing us in all of the fragility of humanity. He says, you know what? I'm going to go down. I'm going to take on their form. I'm going to take on their limitations. I'm going to take on their brokenness so that they will know how much I love them. And I will ultimately die on a cross for their sins. Now, some of us may be thinking, you know, that's good. That's nice. Cause I know some guys are really bad sinners, but honestly, <laughs> I'm not that bad. Right. I, I don't sin. At least I don't, I don't sin as much as that person does. Right. I know the 10 commandments. I've kept them pretty well. I think I'm not going around killing people. I, I show up for, you know, rallies. I, I'm an anti-racist. I give homeless people money when I can, but here's the problem for many of us, because when we think about sin, Right. If we if we ever think about sin, but when we think about sin, we define sin simply as keeping certain rules. Right. Like don't murder. Don't steal. Eh? You know, we don't do that. Let me give you a biblical, more biblical definition of sin. And I heard this from John Piper. And I think it's it's really fantastic. He's saying sinning right, is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God over all other things. Right? And at the root of sin, the, the bottom of sin is a heart that prefers anything above God. A heart that does not treasure God above anything else. A heart that does not treasure God over all other persons or all other things. Sin is anything that is not done out of a heart's love for God. And here's the reality. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned. That means pastors. That means elders. That means deacons. That means church attenders. That means murderers. People who walk out on their families. People who uh, kill other people. And sometimes we think of sin simply doing something bad, right? Like lying or cheating, committing adultery. And if I haven't done any of those things, I, I'm okay. But let's revisit, you know, this definition of sin. It's not simply breaking the law. It's not simply breaking uh, the Ten Commandments. It's breaking the heart of God. Sinning is any feeling or thought or speech or action that comes from a heart that does not treasure God above all other things. Do you, do you get what this means? Right? We know that committing adultery is bad, and we say, well, we're not committing adultery, so we're good. No, that's not what it's, it's saying. It says, because according to God's definition, 
right? Not committing adultery with a heart that has not no love for God is not an expression of love to God. It's still sin, right? Monogamy for monogamy's sake might be good for society, good for your family, but in God's eyes, without a love for God, for God's design of marriage, of humanity, it's still sin. And even the good things that we call good, without a heart love for God, without a heart that treasures God above everything else, whether it's taking care of your family or working at your job, it could be serving the poor or giving money away even. If you do any of these deeds, not because of an overwhelming love of God, an overwhelming response to God's love, it falls short of God's heart. And the Bible says that's sin. If you have any thoughts, actions, or deed that come from a heart that doesn't treasure God above all else, that is sin. And scripture tells us every single one of us, we are sinners according to God's standards. Every single one of us, we fall short of loving God with our entire being. Which comes to this next point. The Bible tells us there are consequences. There is a price. There is a penalty for our actions. Romans 6.23 tells us this. For the wages, the price, the consequence of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This week, you may have been following the news of the trial of uh, Derek Chauvin uh, for the death of George Floyd. And I, I don't know where you stand on this issue. Uh, I don't know um, what you think about all this. But I, I would suspect that all of you would want justice. right? You might be cynical about our justice system. You might be cynical of, of our legal system, right? But at the end of the day, what we really want is a just system. We want a fair system. We want the guilty to be punished and we want the innocent to be set free. But here's the thing about justice. It's both good news and, and maybe not so good news. Uh, the good news of justice is that God is absolutely just. God is the definition of just. There is no injustice in God. There is no favoritism. There's no inherent bias. None of that. God is the only one that is absolutely just. In fact, we read in Exodus and several times throughout the Old Testament, the Lord, uh, the Lord, a God, merciful, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. God is absolutely just. And because he is just, you can trust that whatever injustice happens in this world, whatever evil deeds, some that are seen, some that are caused, some that are prosecuted, and some that are not, will ultimately be judged by him. And because he is absolutely just, he's going to judge them fairly. But here's a flip side of that coin. It means that he's just towards us too. And now, if you're sinless, don't worry, because God is absolutely just, right? If you have always loved God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all your strength, not just part of it, not just some of the time, and if you have loved all of your neighbors just as yourself, right, then don't worry. You're good because God is just. And you're going to be fine when God's judgment comes. But, but here's the problem. If you're a sinner like me, 
If your heart is not enamored and captured by the love of God, if your thoughts and your actions, your deeds do not come from a heart that loves God, then you're a sinner. And because I am a sinner, and because you are a sinner, sinner, the price to pay is death. There's a physical death, but there's also an eternal spiritual death. The consequence of sin is my body will one day die. And we know this to be true. Everybody will one day die. Our bodies are destined to die from the moment that we are born. For some of us, it comes naturally, maybe after 80, 90, 100 years. Some of, for some of us, it comes suddenly. But death always comes. But the punishment for sin isn't simply that we will die a physical death. It's also that we will die an eternal spiritual death as well. And what this means is that we will be forever separated from the God who created us, the God who designed us, the God who created us to have a relationship with him. Imagine you're created to be in this perfect relationship with God, but forever you will be apart from him. And, and that's the truth. God created you and I to be in a relationship with him. And all of our life, he's pursuing us. He's inviting us into a relationship. And all of our life, we're trying to fill this relational hole with something else. Maybe it's with education, or maybe it's with power, maybe it's with influence. But until we are satisfied with God, we will always be pursuing something or someone else. And until we have that relationship with God, we will be aimlessly searching, not just in this life, but for all eternity. I like what C.S. Lewis writes about this. He says, if I find in myself a desire which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I think that's true for every single one of us. We want to be known fully by God and we want to know God fully. We want to be seen fully by, by God. And nothing in this world will satisfy. A lot of things will satisfy. But nothing in this world can satisfy us until God, our designer, and God, our creator, has a relationship with you and I. We are created to be in a relationship with God. But because of sin, we all suffer both a physical and a spiritual eternal death apart from God. The gospel tells us you and I are sinners and there's a price for sin. It's death, both physical, eternal. But Christ died for our sins. And here's the greatest news of it all. Christ did not remain dead for our sins. He didn't lay in a tomb. His body is not decomposing somewhere. We read in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that he was buried and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And here is the greatest news, the gospel, is that Jesus has defeated death. Jesus has conquered sin. Jesus has overcome death. The age-old enemy of mankind no longer has any control over us, right? Because Jesus paid our bills. He paid our penalty. But not just that, he has completely defeated death. He has completely destroyed the system of sin and the penalty for sin. He's overturned the tables on death and says, no longer will death have any power over us. You know, this past year, our news feed has been filled with stories of death. And, and, and you know, it's staggering how many people have died uh, in, in America alone, over 500,000 deaths in America alone, nearly 3 million deaths worldwide just due to COVID. We've heard deaths uh, due to racial violence. We've heard deaths due to cancer and disease. And if you're like most people, 
death scares us. We want to do everything we can to prolong uh, and postpone the inevitable, to resist death, right? So we eat healthy and we exercise, we mask up, we double mask, we triple mask. Why? Because death scares us. But now Jesus says, don't be scared because I have defeated death. I have taken away the sting of death. Death won't hurt you anymore because there's more to the story. There's life after death. I heard this story uh, recently. A father and daughter were driving in a car one day. All of a sudden, the girl starts screaming, Daddy, Daddy, there's a bee in the car and it's going to sting me. And uh, she's screaming. She's like cowering in the corner of her seat. All of a sudden, the dad reaches out with his hands and he catches the bee and he holds on to it for a minute. And the little girl is holding her breath. She's like, what in the world is going on? And then to her horror, her dad lets the bee go. And the bee starts flying around in the car and eventually it leaves. He says, Daddy, what are you doing? This bee, it's going to sting me. And the dad looks at her and says, well, let me show you something, honey. He holds out his hand and in his hand, uh, he says, the bee has already stung me. And he shows her the little stinger. He's like, see, the stinger is gone. Right now, the bee's just a fly and it can't sting you anymore. It's just going to fly harmlessly around. That's what Jesus does for us. Jesus took the sting of sin. Jesus has defeated it. And later on in the same chapter, Paul writes this, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. And he goes on, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died, because Jesus defeated death, the sting of death is no more. The power of sin is no more. There is more to my story and there's more to your story than just the life that we live here on this earth. When you accept Jesus as your savior, as your Lord, he gives you victory in this life and in the life to come. So what does this all mean for us? Now, some of you, uh, you may have heard, you may not have heard the good news before. Some of you, maybe you have, but you've never done anything with it. Uh, but today, Easter 2021, I want to ask you, will you make the most important decision of your life? Will you choose to follow Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to accept the forgiveness that you offered to me when you died on a cross. I want to accept the gift that you give to me by paying the penalty for my sins. It's not like magical words that we say, but we are entering into a lifelong relationship with a loving God that loves you so very much. He's literally willing to lay down his life for you. All we do is we say, God, will you forgive my sins? Will you enter my life? I want you to be the Lord, which means the master and my savior. And if you do this, please, please, please let someone know. I'd love to celebrate with you. Our family would love to celebrate with you. You could either write it in the chat or you could, you could email one of the pastors. You just tell your friends, praise God. If you do that right now, welcome to God's family. But what about the rest of us? Those of us who have heard the good news many times before. You know, there are some applications still for us today. The first thing that I want us to remember is we do not need to be scared of death because there is more to this life than just this life. 
And that means you and I, we can live with confidence, with assurance that this isn't all there is. We don't need to be scared of death. We don't need to start hoarding and we don't need to start only thinking about ourselves because yeah, if if this life is all there is, I can totally understand if you spend all your time getting all the money, all the prestige, all the power, because when you die, it's over. I, I totally get it. But because there's more than just this life, we don't need to be scared of death. We can live with confidence. Because there's more than just this life, it's a reminder that this life right now is a preparation for us to spend eternity with God. Right? Like some, sometimes we think, well, we don't need to practice. But, you know, the, the 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 years that you have in this life, this is practice. This is warm up for what you're going to be doing for all of eternity. When we gather together and we worship together, some of you might be thinking, you know, I, I really like singing. I don't like songs. Well, what do you think we're going to be doing for all of eternity if we're not worshiping God? Right? You better start practicing now. Sing loud and see, be, be, be glorified because this is what we're going to be doing for all of eternity. Because we know there's more to this life, we, we say, God, how do you want my character to be like? Right? Like, how can I become more obedient to you? How can I be more faithful to you? What do you think we're going to be doing for all of eternity if we're not men and women, perfect in holiness, following our Savior, Jesus Christ? Because there's more to this life. We can choose to live with an eternal perspective, how we spend our time, how we spend our resources, how we spend our conversations, right? I, I got a letter from PG&E this week, uh, this past week. They say, by the way, uh, we're going to turn off your electricity this week because we're doing some maintenance in your, in your work, right? If you knew that your electricity was going to be out, would you go out and, and buy a bunch of uh, groceries that you put into a fridge that, you know, won't even be cold after a few hours? No. You can live with the eternal perspective that there's more to this life. And what that means for some of us, it means we need to start sharing the gospel, with our family members or a loved one, because we know there's more to this life. For others, that means I need to start investing into God's kingdom by making disciples. Maybe it's my own kids. I need to disciple them so that they know and they love Jesus. Maybe it's inside our church family. I need to disciple these young men and women that I see rising up as leaders. Or maybe it's outside of our church family. I need to start discipling people I work with, people I go to school with. Because we know there's more to this life. We can live with an eternal perspective. And finally, because we know there's more to this life, because we know that Christ has overcome death, we know that death has no power over us. It also means that sin no longer has a stronghold over us either. Because of Easter, because of Jesus' resurrection, we can have victory in this life as well over sin. We can choose to love God, to have our hearts enamored by the love of God. We can turn our gaze, our attention on God who loves us. So anytime we are faced with the temptation, do I want to love myself more? Do I want to pursue my own things? Do I want to gratify my own flesh? We could turn and say, God, this is how much you love me turn my heart towards you so that I could love you in kind. Whatever sin you might struggle with, in the bright light of God's love, the temptation fades away. 
because of Christ's death and resurrection, we have victory over sin as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are a good God to us and that you have given us the greatest news that we will ever hear. Thank you for those who today, Easter 2021, you have decided to make a decision to follow you, to give their lives over to you, to begin a journey of faith, of following after you. Thank you for those who have been encouraged today that we have victory over death. We have victory over sin. And for, for those of us who made a decision to live differently, would you help and encourage and, and, and go before all of us? Thank you for giving us the most important thing, the great news that your son died for my sins, died for our sins, paid the penalty, and then rose again so that I too will have eternal life these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, now is uh, our time for communion. If you have not yet had a chance to get elements together, I encourage you to do so. I'm going to take the elements, uh, both the, the bread and then the, the juice, and I'm going to um, pray once again. And we're going to go into a time of offering. When you are ready, Feel free to take the elements uh, on your own. Paul writes this also in 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are able to remember what you have done on the cross so many years ago. But not just as a historical fact, but as a present reality in my life. And as we as a church, we take these elements, we are reminded that there is a future hope. You will come back for us. You will give us eternal life. For that, we are eternally grateful. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.